Welcome to this episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest this week is my wonderful friend Patsy Richardson. I've known Patsy for over 10 years. When I first knew her, she was a big deal in strategy at Cadbury, traveling the world, working her socks off. But Patsy always knew that she was challenged by ill health. She had polycystic kidney syndrome and over the time that I have known her she's had to endure a kidney transplant and open brain surgery. She has now completely reinvented herself I'm happy to say as a healthier, stronger, happier lady who has pursued her dreams and has become a property entrepreneur. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. We had a really good laugh, as we always do. And what I love about Patsy's story is, even though you might feel intimidated and think, I can't relate to this, I have never had such a bout of extreme ill health or looked in the jaws of death in the way Patsy has, it's not the point. The point is that she used a strategy of self-talk and surrounding herself with great people and just geeing herself up when things were so incredibly tough, days on end on the dialysis machine. And all of the tools and tips that she has are ones that we can just drop into our lives right now exactly as we are. You absolutely qualify for all of the advice, even if you have the fittest bill of health. I hope you enjoy my wonderful friend Patsy. I'm here today with my wonderful friend Patsy Richardson, who I've known for 10 years now. Oh, even a bit more maybe. Patsy came from Zimbabwe, had a stellar career in marketing here in the UK. Yeah. And you reached the dizzy heights of, was it Cadbury? Yeah, big job, flying here and there. (laughs) Busy job as well. And then your health started to deteriorate. It did start to deteriorate. I actually knew since I was a child that I had this kidney disease, polycystic kidney disease, which is a degenerative kidney disease. It was diagnosed when I was 11. So it was always there hanging over my head. But of course, you don't think about it. You put it to the back of your mind. You really don't want to know. And uh, I can remember very clearly, it was during a regular monitoring in at the hospital in January 2008. And the kidney doctor said to me, I think the time has come where you should start looking for a kidney donor. It was just such a shock. And I can remember looking at him and saying, well, how how do you think I'm going to do that? Where do you think I can start? How do people get a kidney donor, a live kidney donor? He's talking about someone who'd, a living person who'd give me one of their kidneys. When I sat there across from him looking at him, it was an impossible task. How am I going to do that? Mm. And... If you're faced with an impossible task that you can't actually ever see how you can do it, don't turn away from it, Mm. but try and turn towards it. It's the opposite of what you want to do. So all I started to do was then tell people, you know, which was a big thing in terms of me as well, owning it and uh, accepting it. But Mm -hmm. I just started to tell people about my problem, you know, that I was going to need a kidney transplant. And when you talk about 
the the problem had you had it explained to you how uh, how feasible it was to get a kidney what was the time frame what was your what were your expected chances of your body even accepting the kidney no at that stage i didn't know any of that all of that unfolded in the years ahead so i started just telling people and incredibly from 2008 until the end of 2011 I mean, I didn't believe one person would want to do this. I couldn't imagine why one person would. And I actually had four different people in that time span mm-hmm. come forward with seriously wanting to help me and be tested. So is that what needs to happen? It's not the case that you go to the hospital, the kidney specialist says, we have these donors lined up. Do you have to literally crowdsource your own kidney? <laughs> Firstly, it's much better. Your chances are much better if you can get a live kidney donor. If I couldn't have, I would go on the deceased donor list. I can't remember the exact statistics, but there's so many more people needing a kidney than kidneys available. Something Mm -hmm. like a quarter, maybe, of kidneys available. So you'll go on the list for years, and it is years until you get a match. That's Mm -hmm. why he was encouraging me for a live donor. Those four people who were willing to give me a live kidney, you know, have Mm -hmm. an operation, have a kidney taken out was my brother from Zambia. So he Mm -hmm. came over twice, all the way from Zambia. He's got a big farm he runs and a family and everything. Mm. He was happy to do it. A friend who's a single mum to two boys, she thought that would be just fine to give a kidney on top of that. She had enough space. She could see that she could do it. Mm. Uh, Another friend who's got a very big job, she was going to negotiate all that, time off from her job. What sort of time off, what, what sort of recovery time do you need from giving a kidney? I suppose about a month. You'll be fine about a month, and they say you can easily go back to work. And it depends if your work is physical, actually lifting things and mm-hmm. so on. So a single mum was prepared to give her children to somebody for a yeah. month and do that for you. Wow. Well, yes. The human spirit. It is the human spirit. The last one of those mm-hmm. four who tried and weren't able to was my aunt. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's only 70 years old. So that's not old. <laughs> and she's only working full-time as a nurse, so she's got plenty of time to give so a kidney. I hope I'm that. I hope I'm that as well. Yeah, so that was that was actually between 2008 and 2011, so that's mm. a couple of years. And it was a roller coaster because somebody comes mm. along, maybe they can, maybe they can't. And by this stage, I couldn't work. 2011? Yes. Because I remember you during that time. When did you leave Cadbury? That wasn't my final job because I'd sort of wound down a bit in jobs-wise as well. So you had another role and then you had this diagnosis. At what point did you have to just leave work completely because you were so unwell? Well, that was the end of 2011. Right. You know, I really could not work anymore. Mm. I was leaving meetings to go and get sick. You know, it was Mm. just so bad. At that time, I thought that was the low point because I couldn't work anymore. I'd had four donors try. They couldn't do anything. They'd come to nothing. And at that stage, then my kidneys actually were in failure. So I had to start 2012 getting on dialysis. You know, that was a point we never wanted to get to. And it's a point really without light at the end of the tunnel because I was just going on a machine and the dialysis machine I was on, it was at home, but I had to have it use it six days out of seven I had one day off nine hours a night okay and really you're supposed to use it when you sleep but you don't really sleep when you're on it and so a lot of my time was just spent recharging on the machine basically and waiting on the kidney transplant list which I said is really that's a long wait so that time was 
dark. And at the time, I thought that was the lowest point. And that was one lesson in resilience. That was just to keep on going. Just keep going. I've done a lot of introspection and thinking about these things looking back. One of the things it is, is, you know, what you can't control, just accept. So you're in this situation where you've got no life. You're at home. You're having to recharge yourself literally seven or eight hours a day. How on earth do you get to that point that you've just described where you are putting one foot in front of the other? Um, It's definitely your attitude. I love quotes and poems and things like that. And Churchill, one of the things he said is, if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks along the way, you'll never reach your destination. So one of it was working out what's important, what's Mm -hmm. just a dog barking along the way, and what's important. It was people and friends turning to them rather than just turning inwards and Mm -hmm. going oh I just feel miserable today I'm not going to see anyone Mm -hmm. contact someone go out with somebody do something that the other side of that is I just had to focus on what's going to help me Mm -hmm. and I did not stick around people who had negative energy Mm. I just couldn't wear any other people's problems and I had to be quite ruthless about that that's I'm trying to remember if you barred me at that time or not. No, you were in. You were in, sweetie. <laughs> I was in the you were sang- so in. It's funny you say that because I just put on Instagram this morning, um, get yourself around radiators, yeah. not mood hoovers. Yeah. And it's, you know, whether you're facing the jaws of death as you were or anybody, you need to be around people who are going to put good stuff into you there are too many challenges just in in daily life without surrounding yourself with people who are going to detract from a positive mindset those people are just going to suck your energy and it's not really going to give them anything by all means help people when you can if people want to be helped you help them and they take that energy on in a positive way that's very affirming for both of you but just be discerning about people who are just going to suck your energy and there are polite ways to just let them be walk by what was the next step? How did you get from that almost hopeless situation? You were always hopeful, but how did you get on practically to the next step? Well, there are two things, because I had to, mm-hmm. to do the medical journey. Mm. But I also, at that time, I was thinking, well, I won't work again in a big job. I don't think I can. Mm. Um, I, in fact, I can't see how I could possibly. What am I going to do? Mm. And you look at what you've got around you, Mm-hmm. for resources mm-hmm. and the one you know you've always got something mm-hmm. so think of what you have got and the one thing I had got is time and I used to read just widely that was a time when I researched really thought about things thought about what I wanted to do and property's always been what I wanted to do since I was a little girl I built a, a greenhouse in our garden when I was only eight or nine <laughs> you know so property's always been my thing I've always mm-hmm. been fascinated by it so you, you think what you've got and use that and just keep moving towards your goal. Mm. You know how we said if you've got a big goal out there and it's far too big, you can't even see how mm. you can possibly do it. Don't worry about how it's exactly going to happen. Mm. Just keep going. So on bad days when I really couldn't get out of bed, I'd convince myself that watching Homes Under the Hammer was fine because it was helping me on my property journey. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, however Baby little, steps however big, just keep moving forward. I thought that was the lowest point, end of 2011. Mm. Towards the end of 2012, it had just been such a hard year that I'd organised with the hospital uh, so that I could fly together with my dialysis machine to Cape Town for three weeks to visit family. Now, this was a real handstand. 
So, you know, my dialysis machine had to travel with me. All the um, supplies and things that go with it had to be delivered to Cape Town to give myself some light. Even if you haven't got the light you want, just try and make some light at the end Mm -hmm. of the tunnel. However, (laughs) one of the complications of the kidney disease I've got is that you can get brain aneurysms. Mm -hmm. And the doctor had been on at me to have a scan. We should just check, you know. I talked to my family and I didn't think I could cope with it. And we had agreed, I'm not going to have the scan because I can't cope with it if they find anything. However, life has different ways of intervening. Exactly. And the doctor then said to me, oh, there's a new breakthrough. If we, we do find brain aneurysm, we have now got a way to deal with it without open brain surgery. The equivalent of, it'll be fine, don't you worry about a thing. So In the words, open brain surgery, just... Well, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, exactly. I just didn't think I could deal with that on top of. So I, so eventually I said, this, I'll have the scan. And in my mind, I just didn't have the feeling it was going to come up with anything. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. But it turned out that I did. And it wasn't possible to deal with that easily. I was going to have to have open brain surgery. And I couldn't go on holiday, my big mm. thing. And it was Christmas. So that was my lowest point really spending Christmas in London I had this friend Lindsay who was so loyal she I had this friend she's my friend obviously you kept her in the inner sanctum (laughs) I did and you need those people yeah everybody needs those people and we were trailing around London trying to find a surgeon who'd do the brain surgery instead of going on my little holiday that I was supposed to go three weeks in the sunshine I know to put it in context at that time I'd updated my will and sorted out funeral arrangements Mm -hmm. for my family and things like that. I just didn't think I could do it. Mm -hmm. And that's another real learning. You can do so much more than you think you can if you just take it step at a time. Mm -hmm. So even though at that time I really did think there was a big chance I wasn't going to make it, I did manage to find the strength. And I think it's attitudinal. You've got to just dig deep and try and find it. But how often, Patsy, were you thinking, what's the point? Why would I even try today? Every day, almost every day, I'd wake up and think, okay, well, today I'm just giving up. I think I'll give up all day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm making fun of it, but yes, it's so easy to do. And there were some days when I thought, I'm doing nothing today. I can't even get out of bed. I'm not even going to try and wake up. And then I think, no, okay, if you can do one thing, can you do one thing? Can you do one nice thing for yourself? Can you get yourself up, take yourself out to lunch? Mm -hmm. That's all you've got to do all day and just go anywhere nice you want to go. Just do something positive for your day. So what was your best solo lunch? Oh, God. Uh, it was always college shows, actually. <laughs> it was always college shows. So still no I tell you the with... other solo lunch is mm-hmm. cot, a coat, um, yes. steak frites special. And Excellent. it's still ongoing and it's still a good thing. Excellent. Still yeah. a love affair. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so that's where we were. That was the darkest point. And looking back, it mm. was the darkest point. And there's mm. a lovely sort of saying... The night is darkest just before the dawn. I love that one too. Yeah, it is. And you remember it. You know, you look around and you just think everything's terrible. The night is very, very dark. Mm. And that Christmas 12 was just before my dawn, and which is the most amazing story to me. Mm-hmm. I, even now, I can't believe how well it's come through. Yeah, so I did find, eventually, a wonderful brain surgeon at Charing Cross, um, who I immediately had a crush on because that's what happens when yeah. someone helps you when you're in so much trouble. <laughs> yeah, he was lovely. I mean, he really was lovely. 
he was the fifth brain surgeon because it was really difficult to find a brain surgeon who would deal with me when I was ready in kidney failure. So this is not easy situation. What do you mean a fifth brain surgeon? I'd been to C5 before oh, one. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Okay. okay. I, thought you yeah. were, I thought you meant he's... Being a brain surgeon is like 20% of his skill set. Oh, and he's also a prime minister and he's also a gymnast. That sounds like a bit of a gamble. But. <laughs> no, luckily he did do it as his full-time job. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and anticipation is worse than the, the actual reality. Mm. So I got through it. You came and saw me. I was there hooked on my dialysis machine with my bandage on my head. But I got through it. I do remember that. But you were so incredibly chipper. I remember you being surrounded by get well cards. Oh, you see, that's it. It's people. Mm. You know, never forget that. And and also celebrating small successes. Because even though I was nowhere near the end of my journey, something had gone very right. I was mm-hmm. through. It was fine. I mm. was over that hurdle. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of the reason of just feeling so good at that stage. It actually comes on to a learning there, which is to celebrate Mm. Any little success. You don't have to be fully there or at the end of your journey or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll probably remember uh, celebrating that success. I wasn't fully well at all. No. But I reserved the pub garden in okay. the Hampshire Hog and just got my friends to come around and celebrate me getting through that stage. And that was the best day in the sunshine. You know, I was still wearing a hat. But by that stage, I remember it was sunny. So what month was that? Um, that would have been, that's March 13. So that was like one step. And actually towards the end of the year before that, end of 12, I'd met some new friends at my church, a mm-hmm. couple called Colin and Margaret. Mm-hmm. I'd known them only for about three months. So I was just talking to them one day. I was actually talking to them before I went into the brain surgery. And they were saying, oh, we'll come see you in hospital, Lala. And then I said, okay, and when I'm finished, I look forward to get through this so that I can concentrate again on trying to get a kidney. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember it. Colin said, oh... I think I can help you. I'm sure I could give you a kidney. That was in front of his wife. He obviously hadn't spoken to her. And I was fully expecting her to have kittens and just go, Colin, maybe we can discuss this. Instead, she said, you know, I think I might also be able to. Well, it was overwhelming. Bear in mind, I thought there was no chance at all. All my family, all the people I'd thought might be donors have given or have tried. Um, It's not going to happen. First thing I said was find out some more, see if you really want to do this. And yeah, each time they came bouncing back into the, mm. to me, yes, we've, we've looked Got up, we've found out, we've done some more research, we're even more keen. <laughs> so we just kept going down that track and miraculously they were both compatible with me and with each other. So that in the end, Colin was able to donate to me and Margaret was able to say, well, that leaves you with one kidney. If you ever need another one, I'll give you one. That's a proper miracle right there. Yeah, it is. And the second miracle is through all of that, Colin's tissue type is as close as match to me as a parent to a child, on average. <laughs> and we, we've been through it. We're definitely not related. So what are the chances of that for a non-related um, It'll be somewhere in the millions. Uh, yeah, they don't even calculate them really because there's too many people out there who are different. If 2012 was just dark, uh, 2013 was just building, you know. What were the chances of it working? Because you can still have the challenges of rejection, can't you? I did, actually. Mine has worked incredibly well in Mm -hmm. the long run. And overall, it's a very successful operation, but there are lots of things that can go wrong. And actually, just two weeks after getting the transplant, I started rejecting. 
everybody's helped me. The surgeons, the doctors, the family have been over helping me. People Mm. have been rallying around. It's a massive team effort. Mm. And I've got this gift and now I'm rejecting. It's it's an unimaginable. You can't think it can actually be lost, you know. They are able to give you drugs, and there are things they can do, and fortunately they stopped it quite quickly, and I was out of hospital again in two weeks, Mm -hmm. and that was the last problem. And honestly, since then, my kidney function has gone to normal really fast and just carried on stable and normal. So no more dialysis? No more dialysis. Does that stop when you actually get your new kidney? Yeah, the night before you do your last one. Yeah, and the nurse comes and... What was that feeling like? I mean, the actual last dialysis is just full of uncertainty. You just don't know. But I think the time that really hit me was when the nurse came to see me in, in the ward after everything was fine, and she said, we need to think about returning the machine. I was like, really? I can just give it to you? I don't even need to keep it on standby just in case? No, yeah. I can go. So, so that would be like when I stopped wearing maternity bras to the power of a million that yeah. feeling yeah. of just never again no exactly yeah. and everything that's associated with that just yeah. goes and the procedure itself is a day I had to be in the night before mm. and Colin because the way they organize it Colin arrives in the morning mm-hmm. uh, we knew all this was going to happen we knew I wouldn't see Colin in the morning and Hammersmith Hospital it's a big busy hospital mm. it's completely within Colin's rights to say no right up to the minute he goes under if he wants to and that would be respected that would be fine they take the kidney and then they fetch me mid-morning to put it in same surgical team and everything but of course that morning goes you know and we didn't know that he'd successfully come to the hospital that he'd gone and he'd gone in successfully they didn't give you the update well they're not going to update you if it's fine you know what I mean they're just too busy yeah getting on with things and then eventually they came and said, okay, ready to go. And and then I came out, uh, that was about lunchtime, and actually I came out towards the end of the afternoon. In Colin's case, his kidney did start working in me, my new kidney, it's called now, mm. um, straight away. So mm. by the time I came back from the theatre, remember how I used to be grey? My face was pink. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, there's all the people who were immediate? supporting us. And, I mean, in my case it was, and it was just then that I rejected but other than that rejection episode it's been the most successful thing imaginable when did you get to see Colin well that's what they do they put you side by side in beds side by side so when I came up from the theater I see okay. Colin and I recovered side by side what a moment I know it was Hannah Colin's daughter you know her mm-hmm. um, I can remember being wheeled up and then I saw Hannah was sort of looking out in the corridor and she Patsy's here Patsy's here and then there was just that moment of did you survive? Yes. Did you survive? Yes. Do we think it's okay? Yes, maybe it is. <laughs> are we Are we through, do you think? Well, possibly. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Ready for some hospital food? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so crazy. So yeah. Colin, I remember, he was up and about quite quickly. Yeah. And after your episode with the threat of rejection you were too yeah Colin was out I think he spent three days in hospital I was only a month in a week in hospital and Mm. then you're free to go home and you're up and about quite quickly and feeling better and actually it was probably a week and a half after the operation that we Mm. were able to have supper in a pub and take a photo for everyone and go yay we're through look at us we're drinking we're eating I mean 
we weren't exactly overdoing it, but, you know, we were out. And uh, the doctors presumably were blown away as well by the chances of everything that you got through, the matches. Well, the matches are amazing, and they expect this kidney to last for 40 years, which is way above average. Mm -hmm. I'm back to normal, to completely normal life, full of energy. By and large, transplantation is a miraculous therapy. It's an amazing thing that people do. Mm. How did you chart your journey back from just thinking, I'm, I'm actually alive and I'm in with a chance here, to reinventing your career? When I came through that, I was a bit like a mole coming mm. out and blinking in the light. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, I've got to life. It's all better. Yeah. But I'd already started to move towards my property thing in terms of learning, finding out, that sort of thing. Because my values had changed completely in all of that. I was mm. not going to go into a big job and give my whole life to flying around the world. No. And so there was an option to go back to the role I'd been in. Mm. But I was so determined to live. Yeah. to make every moment count, you know, really enjoy what I'm doing, do what I was born to do and to start my business in property, really sort of finding my way in a completely new field and sort of finding mm. my best strategy. And for people looking to come back to work after a break, be flexible, adaptable. There's mm. a, a great quote, um, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Yeah. And you make your plan, but then you go out there and you get on the battlefield and you have a go and you try this and then you move there and you, you know, find different ways. And I think that's quite an important thing you for tweak people. and pivot. Yeah, yeah, you've said it much more elegantly. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. I just tweaked and I pivoted. It yeah. looked like chaos, but that's all I was doing, tweaking and pivoting. But I love that you have ended up doing something that actually you loved doing when you were eight years old. <laughs> It's a more work-life balance integrated, yeah. it is, in that I'm doing what I love. I'm doing it because I'm valuing my time, but mm. also because I want to get a lot done without it overtaking. Mm. It's just focusing on the big things. So mm. one thing I do every morning is, before I even start work, I think, what are the three big things I have to do today? Mm. I just write those down and I make sure those are done. And then if there's time left over, I do other stuff. Um, Such a great tip. Yeah. You know, I journal every day, and one of the things that I put in my journal is what didn't work in the day. Yeah. And then I look back through my journals, and one thing that comes up day after day, it's a big theme, I need to deal with it, is I, did, I tried to do too much. I didn't yeah. go through my list. I tried to jam too much in. It's, you know, literally 20 entries saying exactly the same thing. And I think that we need to get back to, okay... Let's make this more realistic. If that's what I think I'm going to do in a day, I'll cut the list in half and I'll probably have a better sense of achievement because yeah. I'll get there. Yeah. And um, there's another thing actually which I found. So coming back into a working environment, after I think it was three years that I hadn't worked, yeah. work and the world has changed. Mm. And technology's moved on so much. But it's such a positive thing because there now are apps to help us organise our lives out. Mm. And I do use technology a lot to streamline things. My finances, the business's finances, to-do things, to-do lists, using technology as your friend. What's important to you now to fill your week up with that wasn't, you know, before your, your illness really took hold? What's the difference in the way your week looks? Okay, there are much more people in it. You know how when you crowd surf, people get carried along by thousands of hands? I do feel like I crowd surfed through that whole thing where people were just 
thousands, lots of different people helping me in different ways, you know, from the big things to even to the people who gave me a seat on the bus. Another big thing, collaborating with yeah. people. You know, even though I was working in a big company, you know, you're formally collaborating with people, mm. but I don't think I was just working with, finding joint goals, identifying areas we were both interested in, working like that. Working out how you can complement each other instead yeah. of just rubbing along because yeah. you happen to be in the same company. You it's said a different it thing. Really, really well. And, you know, that just unleashes so much when you're working with people who complement oh. each other and you're finding win-wins. Mm. And networking, for me, in a new industry, does that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, finding win-wins, even little win-wins, big win-wins. So on the networking thing, you're in property, and I know so much of it is who you know. What are your top tips for being an effective networker if it's not something that's innately part of you? Well, yeah, loads, actually. One is just set expectations low. Don't go to a meeting thinking, I'm going to meet a business partner in Reading at this meeting. Just go, I'm just going to chat to people, and that's going to give me some energy. Work out why are you there, what do you want, Hmm. and work that into your introduction. And, And have a nice, you know, everyone talks about your elevator pitch, have a nice, easy introduction that's easy for you to deliver because then yeah. you'll be in your comfort zone straight away. So And go to have fun. You know, sit, tell your story, have fun. And good things will come to you. You don't have to push it too hard. You don't yes. have to go, I'm Patsy and I'm doing this and this and I want this by lunchtime. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's trusting. Yeah, that it, you know, you just put yourself out there and you also make connections you never thought. I've also got more comfortable with, as I've done it more, the whole flow of networking so thinking about the person trying to open up and understand what the other person's there for because you know why you're there for Mm. you know why you're networking Mm -hmm. what are they there for and what are they about you asked me for networking lines like what lines what are my killer lines (laughs) yeah like my name's some work like i've got all the answers the last two i went to I like the look of somebody and they happen to be standing next to the bowl of crisps. I went up to them and I said, it's, it's not actually you I want to talk to. I want to get quite close to those crisps. Yeah. And then they laughed, Kate. It wasn't yeah. funny. But at least it sort of warmed the situation up a bit. And then there was a, a little oeuvre and we could just get chatting. Yeah. But I'm sure you're much more of a slick operator than I am. Oh, yeah, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> that, sorry, that's really nice because it's using humour. I do use different things for different people. Mm-hmm. So, because, okay, I'm very often networking with men. Like, mm. I may be the only woman in the room. Two times last week, I was at events where I was the only woman in the room. Right. Make that your advantage. So, I always wear bright clothes. I stand out myself. That's what I'm intentionally great doing. personal branding, yep. Yeah, they're going to remember me. Whereas they won't remember the other grey suits. So, you know, mm. just take it as an advantage. You're thinking about the other, the blokes... Ask an open-ended question to open it up. So, because it's an ego business, what are the big projects you're working on at the moment? <laughs> okay, that works well with blokes yep. and property. You read yep. your own audience. A little audiences. bit of a charm offensive. Yeah. For women, or if it's going to be a bit more personal, mm. um, another line I use is, how's your day been so far? Mm. And that takes you immediately to a very personal place. They go, yeah. oh, I was busy, I was doing this, I was doing that, yeah. and I was worrying about my son who's gone to hospital, and I was doing that. Yes. And as soon as they say, what your, how's your day been so far? They go, oh, no, excellent. Actually, I closed a deal I was hoping to close today. And they, oh, and you're in. So they open-ended. What do you do to keep yourself um, looking so amazing now? Oh, sweetness, you are so lovely. 
I mean, apart from having a full complement of organs, there must be a few more tips. Well, my first tip, my most recent tip uh-huh. for blondes like you and me, yeah. is Bobby Brown Boy Brow. It's like a mascara for eyebrows. But right. I know that's not what you were after. So No, 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 that's okay. I'm 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 I like an HD eyebrow. It doesn't work that well on me, but um yep, okay. No, okay, so well that's you a can good tip. be the judge. Mm-hmm. This is a much more general thing actually, is I do I suppose mine was a health thing, that's why I was off. Mm. And I've got so much empowerment from getting back into physical exercise and actually right. strengthening exercises as well. So yes. I'm fit and I'm also physically strong. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how much confidence I get from just being strong and feeling physically strong, especially when you're out and about with blokes and this and that. Yeah. It's a very empowering thing. I think also... So that, that is a big... That's an intentional tip, actually, for people to do. So how do you do it? Classes. But fun ones. So, okay, Pilates and a reformer. With a reformer, yeah. that's just a weights exercise. Mm. Swimming, because I like that. Zumba because it's fun. Walking lots because I can just work that into my day. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what I do. And you must appreciate physical fitness on a whole another level. Yeah, it's been amazing to me. But how much confidence? You just feel strong. And mm. and actually, I suppose some of this comes from my having conquered so much. Mm. Is I do feel strong. Mm. I do have a very strong attitude. You know. Things aren't going to throw me very quickly. It's just, I don't know, recognizing what you've done well, refusing to be a victim, having an attitude Mm. around being strong, being positive, making the most of what you've got. Go Mm. get the day. But within that, I mean, you started off talking about the concept of surrendering and leaning in to the problem. So I think you can be both, can't you? You can be strong and you can you can have a, a you can be disciplined in your mindset. But it's also really helpful, I think, to just be able to blurt out your problem. Oh, yeah. And I call it showing your slime. You know, the stuff that you really... It's a little bit uncomfortable to share because it means that you're showing your vulnerability. But it's actually what people respond to incredibly well. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I put it as being real. Be your authentic self. The vulnerabilities are real as well. People responded to my vulnerability not with any nastiness, but just rallying, helping, doing what they can, coming alongside me. So even now, yeah, even as I work in quite a competitive environment with blokes, within reason, I'm real. Like I'm not inappropriately vulnerable mm-hmm. or advertising for people to come and take advantage of yeah. me, but I'm being authentic. So can you tell us about what we can do to help the, the plight of I don't know how many others are facing what what you had to what can we be doing for the cause i suppose it won't be a surprise coming from me (laughs) give your organs away give all of them away (laughs) (laughs) i am realistic in that you shouldn't do it while you're still alive that is extreme i understand Mm -hmm. that it's so underestimated how much benefit you can give to people by having an organ donor card and allowing your organs to be taken when you pass. It'll save some lives and it will help other people. I know I'm an evangelist for this, but I just can't see any downside to giving away your organs. But how do you, how do you find a card and do you fill out something on your driver's license? I can't remember. The, what, apparently, they, I think when you get a new driving license, they do ask you if right. you want to opt in. You can go to organdonation.nhs.uk. All the information's there, and you can carry a card. But importantly, you should also tell your loved ones around you. 
mm-hmm. so that people know. That gift has saved my life. All the stuff I'm doing now, yeah. you know, just full life. That's what you're giving to people when you give them a donation of an organ. Well, you know this already, but you, your story is incredibly encouraging. I've got so much to take away and process from it. You know that I wish you the absolute best with the property business because you are born to do that and you've known that since you were eight years old isn't it interesting yeah. I'm always saying to people yeah. you know, when they're working out what to do think back to what you love doing when you were little Patsy thank you that's a pleasure can I just leave for everyone listening a quote a Churchill quote at the end so years after the war he was invited to go back to his old school and give a speech mm-hmm. and he stood up and everyone was waiting for his speech and he stood up and he said never give up never give up Never give up. And then he sat down. And really, that's it as well. Yeah. Yeah.